Season two of Have You Got Five Minutes is brought to you in partnership with Nextdoor, the neighbourhood app that's used by one in seven households in the UK. This past 18 months, we've all needed to connect a little closer with the communities around us and Nextdoor are working to create a kinder place for people to have a neighbourhood that they can rely on. Tap into your neighbourhood at nextdoor.co.uk or download the app from your app store. I'm Rebecca Roberts. Hi, I'm Harriet Small. Welcome to Have You Got Five Minutes, the PR, comms and marketing podcast answering the things you'd normally have asked about at an event or while making a brew in the office. Hi, H, how are you? I'm good. So I know a lot of people, or maybe not now, but at times they go through dry patches of content and they really, really struggle and they're sort of thinking, what do we, what, what do we write about? What do videos do we create? What do we do? So we were having a chat. And we were actually thinking about, actually, when you're going through those dry patches, rather than trying to create new content, why don't you document things? So, for example, you know, the stories of the how-tos, behind the scenes, what we're doing, did you know? And I think also that leads on nicely to, you know, documentaries and how successful they are in terms of getting messages out there, also profiling things and you can even create your own little mini docu series in-house or even on an agency side if you have a client and you're really struggling for content for them create small docu series with them and you can do them quite cheaply and at a reasonable price so i don't know what you think about documenting rather than creating yeah like if anyone's ever read a gary v book or downloaded some of his stuff like i mean he's changing but he's got this one document i'll link to it and it's something like create i don't know 50 million it's like 50 pieces of content a day and although you're just like oh my god like please shut up it has actually some useful stuff in the sense of how you could create more bits of content and it is very much you know like sharing thoughts or points on like a notes thing on your phone and then taking a screen grab of that and then posting on instagram or linkedin because a picture will work better it doesn't have to be like a glamorous picture of something that's really staged and it's actually got some really good practical stuff that's really like actually if you were documenting your day at work or something that's going on in your business like that would be quite practical and yeah i think sometimes we get too obsessed with you know those calendars like it's international day of a left-handed witch or whatever stupid thing it is and like (laughs) it's just laughing at me now like I think it's sometimes useful to think like why would you be doing that and why are you chasing reasons to talk and actually having a bit of a lens and like are there things or people in your organization you've not talked to that could bring something yeah I think that's kind of a good way to start yeah and if you think about the rise of YouTube and they they rose because of people who were documenting their lives. So if you think about vloggers who were going around like just doing their normal things of vlogmas, which is the one that people do during Christmas, or even think about like makeup tutorials, people would sit there, do their makeup and be filmed. And then they would have huge YouTube channels, but all they're doing is just doing their makeup and they get sent products. It's the same thing with like the kids, although I don't agree with it because, you know, I've got little nephews, nieces and nephews, but you know, the kids who sit there and unbox games and toys, that is all just documentation. It is not creating new content. Although, yes, there is a bit of work that goes behind it with the PR sending stuff, but all they're doing is just unboxing the toy and playing with it. That is just documenting their their day. And I guess that's that can also be used for us in-house. We think about about people who test out technology or do cooking things a lot of people are really good storytellers just through documenting things and not even anything like where it's fancy or it's you know in depth there's mistakes in there there could be like little things where 
like I've watched some of the YouTubers on um, YouTube and all, some of them will like drop the phone or they'll go into a shop and then they get told, oh no, you have to push your camera off. So all those little things, but they have huge channels, they have huge followings and they work with brands and they, and they make a lot of money. And also some of the companies do it. I think about like Jessica Alba with her beauty brand, Honest. She does a lot of just documenting when she's in her bathroom, like washing her face or doing her skincare. And that's, that's all it is. It's not like she's sitting there in the lab explaining to you every ingredient and trying to figure out how do I write this new thing. You know what I think? It's, it's a sign of a good comms team that can almost like find the storytellers and give them space to tell the story. So like in higher education and like there is some shock. Oh, do I list the bad ones? At some point I will because <laughs> there've been some shocking ones. But around clearing, there was some obviously TikTok's big and you can totally tell the teams that have had like a really tight grip on like, right, we're going to storyboard this. We're going to plan the exact story or, you know, a senior exec vice chancellor's come along and they want to be on TikTok and they've done this oration of whatever and it's just horrendous and it's just really dry and boring versus the ones that have got a really good like student ambassador group and gone what are your ideas how can we bring that to life because you know and i've done it myself where i've been like should we be asking for a vlog or the different bits of content but actually when you work with student ambassadors in particular who are native to the channel who use it who are your target audience as well and you ask them like how could we tell the story that shows campus like this and let them come up with it so much better and I think if you were in a council for instance and you had like I don't know on bin collection and we've seen there are examples where you've got like bim and then sort of tracking their day and telling their story I think that works so much better but just give those creators a bit of a bit of freedom to kind of bring it to life otherwise it does feel very scripted and controlled and I just think you kind of you lose marks for that I think yeah I think you know we have we have the day where it's run by the local government association the lga where they do a whole day about local government it's called our day i really like it and all we do in-house whenever i've worked for a council all we do is just go around filming people doing things in their day so we go to the server room what would you do in here we just film them it's documentation but it's such a wonderful day and i just think about even when you know it's a big thing in the local government calendar when we start getting the gritting trucks out in winter you can take a picture of the gritting trucks with the politicians standing in front of them or you can actually do a really cool documentation about the process of the gritting and how it looks like and and behind the scenes and and where the sand comes from but that actually tells a better story than taking a picture of a politician in front of the trucks and saying with the hard hats on and I know those those working politicians is hard and you've got to explain them but tells a completely different story and I guess also if you think about the red carpet be very dry to just have the, the name of the designer and the person who wore the dress but the way the red carpet is done and the way they innovate on the red carpet of awards and and stuff like that it's so interesting because they were the first to do things like the 360 cameras you know all the red carpet interviews you know they're really like innovative but it's all just documenting people walking from their car into the awards venue i loved them meme the met this time because i thought that was really fun i think i had saint x hate one of the um instagram grammars i follow and they were there at the met awards and they were doing memes almost like live as people come along so kim kardashian in that black (laughs) whatever it was that was like instant fodder and it was just great it was just fun and like engaging I think the key thing here is like thinking about your audience like and look god we've all got to sometimes play for stakeholders and you know that certain twitter posts are literally not for your main audience it's for the people that have asked for it right but I think if you can get to a good place where you're 
really putting your audience at the heart of it. Like, what are they going to want to see? Like, behind the scenes, it can help recruitment. It can help all sorts of things. So I think if we can reflect what our audience might want from content, it allows us to do that kind of more relaxed capture of stuff. This week, we're delighted to welcome Alex Payne, best known as the Sky Sports broadcaster, covering sports such as tennis, poker and my favourite rugby. Alex hosts one of the best sports podcasts, The Good, The Bad, The Rugby, alongside James Haskell and Mike Tindall. In 2017, Alex founded The Room. What makes The Room different from other marketplace tech businesses connecting brands and people of influence, in quotes, is that no money changes hands. It is a contraire economy that trades in mutual value, allowing brands to engage with storytellers or brand partners who are interested in what collaboration looks like and not what the fee is. Alex, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much indeed for having me. It's quite nice to be listening and not necessarily doing my lines. So um, yes, no, thank you for having me. Before we get to the meat of why we invited you on the podcast, although Rebecca may say I only invited you for this reason, but what are your thoughts about the communications and press around the recent Lions tour? Good question. Well, I think if you look at the tour as a whole, it was a, it was a pretty tough story to tell. I think that it hasn't necessarily enhanced the Lions brand. I don't think it did a lot for rugby. Um, I was lucky enough to be back in studio with Sky sort of talking about it in a broadcasting capacity and it was pretty tough at times. We did one game actually in one of the warm-ups where we had a two-hour build-up and we came on air. And you sort of spent a couple of days getting ready for a game like that. We came on air without actually knowing if there was a game taking place in two hours' time, which makes it quite fun sort of freewheeling broadcasting. What that sort of shows you is a very difficult tour from start to finish. And I think if you're looking at the PR and the comms around it, it was it was very difficult to really generate a huge amount of momentum, a huge amount of excitement. Sport is built on supporters in stadiums. And actually, the Lions, more than anything, is about the sea of red that travels to the far reaches of the Southern Hemisphere in order to be able to kind of support their team every four years. And there just wasn't any of that to tap into, to feed off, to energise. It, it removed a lot of the emotion. And so I think it became quite a dry story. It was obviously there was a very strong COVID theme throughout and that doesn't really sell in terms of sport. I mean, I, I know a lot of the, the, certainly the Lions guys in terms of that PR and comms element of it. And I, I feel desperately sorry for them because they were fighting with not one, but both their arms tied behind their back. And it was sort of about managing a pretty tough situation rather than celebrating the best of what sport is and the lion sits at the very top of that so tough gig i think it's one of those tours that won't be spoken about in the annals of time quite like um past lions tours so what are you looking forward to now that rugby's back we've got the fans back prem's back on autumn nations is coming up what are you looking forward to well i'm looking forward to fans and stadiums which is brilliant that is fundamentally the thing that, that gets people tuning in I mean, it was always very interesting working in a sort of television broadcasting capacity which is that there is a there's the unwritten rule of, of live sport which is the bigger the crowd the more people watch because there's a sort of a sense of FOMO that's generated by big occasions I remember Sky actually showing the GAA in in Ireland the hurling and it was getting enormous audiences in in England because people were stopping to watch an event that had 95,000 people at Croker in Dublin so fans is absolutely essential to it from a personal perspective um, I'm looking forward to seeing how England 
go this autumn. I think they've obviously had a, had a bit of a dip in the last 12 months, but there's a lot of very exciting talent that's been named by Eddie Jones. And you were very kind to sort of mention this shambles of a podcast that I'm involved in with Haskin Tins. And we've got some really, really fun plans over the next 12 months. So I'm looking forward to getting out, not only to sort of grassroots events, but we're off to Paris and Rome in the Six Nations. We're doing a lot of stuff with the RFU during the autumns. We've got some really, really fun plans in the pipeline, which hopefully will be sort of celebrating all elements of, of the game that we all love. And that's both from sort of, you know, vets playing rugby in a muddy back pitch in the middle of nowhere through to hopefully Owen Farrell and England doing some, some good stuff in the autumn of the Six Nations. So yeah, that's that. I feel, feel quite energised by all of that. And um, so tell us a bit about the story about starting The Room and where the idea came from. So The Room, actually funny, it's interesting having sort of, well, it's relevant having mentioned the fact that I've I've farted around on television for about 18 years or so. The reason that that is, is sort of interesting in this conversation is that I've got absolutely no interest in being a celebrity or an influencer. I'm very middle, worryingly middle-aged to middle-aged. But because I've done 18 years of television and on, on most weeks, I've had a lot of brands who have sent me emails, got in touch, asked me to either commercially endorse things that they're doing or turn up at events or whatever it might be or they have thrown me various bits and bobs and said will you do something with us can you give us a bit of exposure and it's actually out of the latter that the whole idea of our business was built so I got given four years ago a box which had 400 quid's worth of 500 quid's worth of Star Wars merchandise in it so the books games DVDs TV controllers all these lovely bits and bobs and in a in the top of the box was a note that said Alex we hope you love all of this if you do, we'd love you to tweet about the fact that we're showing Star Wars back-to-back on our movie channel all weekend. So it's your classic promo box that I'm sure many of your listeners will be very familiar with and they'll spend a lot of time, as Star Wars did, you know, boxing them up and um, you know, sweating networks and going through data lists and trying to work out who they can send the box to. And lo and behold, whoever the agency was that, that kindly did all of this for, for Star Wars ended up sending a box to yours truly. And I, I can't really tell you why I did it, but I ended up sending a tweet uh, for them. It wasn't really anything that I was hugely interested. I'm certainly not a, a, a big Star Wars fan, and I certainly wouldn't have been sitting down to watch Star Wars all weekend. But for some reason, I sent a tweet for them. And that tweet, because I'm not very interested, and I'm certainly not dialed into Chewbacca and Han Solo, ends up getting 12 likes. And I'm pretty weak on social anyway, but even I could see that that was fairly underwhelming. So I'm left, uh, after a fairly sort of curious incident, wondering why on earth I've received the box and why I've then tweeted it. My audience, who follow me because I talk about rugby, are ending up saying, why on earth are you suddenly telling us to watch Star Wars all weekend? And the most successful movie franchise in history have come up with a great idea. They've had lots of people working very hard on it. They've spent lots of money on it. They've sweated their networks. And they've ended up chucking this box at an idiot like me who's given them the square root of nothing back for it. And the question that fell out of this fairly sort of unsatisfactory collaboration, I suppose, is why was Star Wars not able to find a 100 really influential people at the click of a button who would say, I love Star Wars, send me the box and I'll go bananas on Instagram. Or I love Star Wars, uh, my son is obsessed with it as well, please send it to us and we'll do a really lovely YouTube video for you as we sit down to watch the films. Or potentially you get a radio DJ who says, oh my god, I love Star Wars, send it to me and I'll Send me four of them and I'll give them out as competition prizes on my radio show on Friday. And in doing so, I will tell my audience that they can all sit down and watch Star Wars. So that is the kind of the concept of, of our business. It enables brands to unlock the people who love, need and want them and will want to talk about them purely based on that love alone. It's not about commercially incentivizing people to talk about you. It's about unlocking your brand advocates who say, I'm really keen to collaborate with you because I think you're a great brand. You fit into the stories that I'm telling. And I think we can go on a really fun journey together. And so that that's the platform that we've built. Essentially, Star Wars come to us, they list the opportunity, and they invite pre-vetted people of influence to tell them 
why they love them and what they will do with the offering, whether it's a, a you know product, whether it's a campaign, whether it's an experience, whatever it might be. Brands are able to use us to unlock the people who say, I'm in, get me involved, and I want to do it because I'm keen on it. And the really interesting thing, just very quickly, on, on why on why it's become very exciting in the last 18 months is that I think wherever you look at the moment, people are desperately searching for truth and authenticity, whether it's politics or media or news or marketing, whatever it is, people want authenticity in what they dial into. And even if you dial it right back to the start of social media, people are growing audiences because they entertain or they inform or they educate or they amuse, whatever it might be. People aren't growing audiences through simply selling. And we are a space where influential people can come to use their influence for the things that they want to do, are passionate about, are curious about. You don't always need to get paid to create content, I think, as an influential person. And I think that has very much been a, a very quick learning in the last few, certainly look at coming out of COVID more than ever. Influential people have to talk about the things they love, need and want and the things that they believe in, the causes that they believe in, as much as promoting commercial activity, we believe, in order to stay at the top of that that tree. You actually changed your name, didn't you, from the influence room. So do you think we need to like rethink who an influencer actually is? I, I think we do, but I think also it is changing anyway. I mean, I, I'm 41, depressingly, and, uh, you know, I, I'm... I'm already sort of out of the back of the wave of, of influencer marketing. It's it's ironic, I suppose, that we've built a tool that has headed into that territory, but we are fundamentally all about advocacy first and foremost. I think if you say to people nowadays, what is an influencer? They will tell you that it's an Instagrammer who gets paid to post content. But actually, if I was to say to you, who are the most influential people in your life? I'm not sure that you'd put Instagrammers in the top 10. You talk about you know, your parents, or you talk about your teachers, or you talk about inspirational sports figures, or you talk about politicians, or you talk about historical figures. I I imagine most people would follow along that path before they start saying, well, the most influential person in my life is the person who I buy clothes through on Instagram. And so we have this very sort of fundamental, we actually, the reason we got rid of the word influence from our title uh, and went from the influence room to the room is because we didn't just want to be seen as influencer marketing. We're trying to create a space which is all about good brands and good people forming good collaborations. And that is advocacy at its sort of core. I think the, the, the natural evolution of an influencer in inverted commas will be that the best of the bunch and those who command the most value and have the the greatest audiences and the highest engagement are those who do blend that activity between their commercial, which is obviously, of course, you should get paid to talk about the brands that, that really want to engage through you. But in order to retain your, your presence at the top of the tree, you have to talk about the contra, and that's what you love, and you have to talk about your causes. And those are the campaigns and the, and the charities that you really believe in. And we believe that if you talk about all three and you create amazing content, then that actually is a sort of is as a person of influence what sets you apart from those who just sell commercial activity. We we believe fundamentally in in quality in, in terms of the people that we accept into the room. I think we I think we accept about nine percent of the applicants that we get. But you know, influence comes in many forms. It's not just a social media channel where you blast commercial endorsements. So we have a lot of in-house teams who listen to this and we have a lot of agency people who listen to this. So a lot of us write briefs, but how can we write better briefs to attract attention and also to be clear about the kind of content that we want out of whatever it is we're trying to achieve in terms of our communication objectives? How often do you let the content creators create the brief with you? Well, in my job that I do in-house a lot, but I know that's not the case for everybody. But I think I think you are bold in what you're doing then, and I think my answer to that question is to trust the people that you're engaging with to tell your story most effectively in their words, and that is, you know, I'm definitely not here to kind of ham it up, but but that is what our 
That's what our site does. It's not that there is no control of content through our site. There's no control of messaging. What you are doing is unlocking people who say, I will talk about it because I love it. And as a brand, I think increasingly, you have to be brave enough to work with your brand advocates and to let them tell your story, not impose your story on them, if you get the difference. If you have an engaged audience, they are best placed to understand the type of content and the type of messaging and the timing and the way that they can engage that audience. And therefore, as a brand, again, this is only one person's view, but you need to be backing the people who've created their own audience and highly engaged audiences to tell your story in their own words, because that is the most effective way of getting cut through. Influencers are increasingly good at understanding, I think, what a brand's objectives are, but also how they can get those into the messaging that they are most comfortable telling. And it's, I mean, just almost a step outside of the world of the influence. I mean, even just taking it back to our podcast, The Good, The Bad and The Rugby, you know, we collaborate with brands, but they will say to us, almost, we've got a pot of money. We want to try and do this, this and this. You come up with the idea. And I think the bravest brands now are those who understand that simply paying people to promote your message isn't getting the cut through that you think and you hope uh, you want it to get. What you need to do now is to be is to be brave enough to say, if you love us, you tell our story in your own words, and we will back you to generate that authenticity and that engagement off the back of it. So I don't know whether that answers your question. I don't know whether we're swimming in a different direction to most. But yeah, I, I think the bravest brands are those who understand that they're loved, work with their fans, because we believe that you will get far more from working from a fan who loves you than you ever will get just by paying somebody. And look, we know there's quite a pay gap in the influencer and celebrity endorsement space, particularly when it comes to creators and storytellers of colour. Even though money is an exchange on the platform, how are you ensuring that your storytellers and content creators are representative, like including disabilities? Very good question. I think the first thing that I would say is that we are being challenged by our brands all the time on this. So it is obviously, it's 2021, and, and there needs to be significant improvement made across the board. You know, our, our brands are are excited by the opportunity, and I think by the change as well that is happening across across everything. It's not just necessarily within the influencer space, but everywhere you look, there is a real focus on representation. We're very sort of, because there's no commercial, as you say, no commercials taking place, it's never going to be about, you know, buying influence, as it were. Our, our acceptance quali- uh, criteria, just for letting people onto the platform, are based purely on the quality of the stories they tell. They are based on the engagement, the authenticity of the audience that the people have built over time. So, you know, anybody can apply at any time to our platform, but we are about quality first and foremost. And, and that is, you know, that isn't going to change. We have had one or two instances of big names who've who've come to the platform and they've got enormous kind of followings but you dig into the detail and it's all purchased and they are they're not it's not an authentic following and that isn't what we're about i'd much rather have somebody who is passionate about i don't know what it might be it might be climbing kilimanjaro they might have rode the atlantic but they've only got twenty thousand followers that's much more interesting to us as somebody who's out there and telling remarkable stories and doing remarkable things than than somebody's got one hundred fifty thousand because they pose in a beige coat against a brick wall every tuesday i'm not necessarily answering your question but i would say that we're an open church and everybody is welcome we are definitely seeing that our brands are wanting greater diversity and therefore it's in our interest to have as broad a church as possible as our membership but we do vet people based on the quality of the stories their data their engagement etc so we talked about this a little bit before we started recording but i say it's quite unique for me to see someone building a tech business in the marketing and comm space or pr space and branding space because most people would go for 
to do a consultancy and, and do things that way. And you've gone the other way of building a tech business and you've, you're doing it as a in quite side hustle because you also have the broadcasting. So what have you learned during that process? And also, do you have any tips for anyone who's thinking about starting another business, especially a tech business in this kind of climate? Oh, wow. What have I learned? I mean, I'd be fascinated to know who your, what your, what your other interviewees have said on this. I have learned more about myself in business in the four years that I've been doing a, a tech marketing platform or a, a sort of um, a marketplace, I should say, than in, in the previous 37 years of my life. I mean, it's just relentless in how starting a business means that challenges come at you from every single angle on, on a daily basis. What advice would I give to someone thinking about starting a tech business? You are definitely signing up to a roller coaster. You've got to be prepared, fully prepared for the full spectrum of emotions. And that normally comes at you before breakfast. And then that just continues from there. Uh, so be prepared that it is not a smooth graph from your idea to an exit. It is just chaos on a daily basis. I think I learned pretty quickly that no one's going to do it but you. I think that there is a tendency, or I certainly went through a phase when we began to pick up a little bit of traction at the room. I was sort of looking around for the person who was going to take it on and make it into something that it should be. And actually, that just isn't a thing. You have to, I mean, I've done everything in my business from paint the office to, you know, empty the bins to, uh, I mean, absolutely just the most extraordinary things. And you, you sort of, you say you're a tech entrepreneur, you're not really, you're just kind of hustling until something picks up and gets caught in the wind. I've learned as well that yes often means no, particularly if you're fundraising and selling. I think the best piece of advice I can give is just to continually listen. Talk to as many people as you can. I mean, I've probably told that Star Wars story 50,000 times. I'm not sure it gets any better with each telling, but I have probably told it 50,000 times. And you just want to get everybody's reaction to what it is you're trying to do. One of the things that I'm very keen on within our business is that we celebrate the victories as we go. You know, I keep reminding everybody, particularly when it gets unbelievably choppy, that this is meant to be the fun bit. I do subscribe to the adage that life is about the des- about the journey, not the destination. And so you've got to mark the landmarks as you pass them as a company. Stay focused which is often very difficult. You start a business and people tell you what you should be doing. And it's very diff- it's very difficult not to get swayed and strayed by uh, you know wise people offering their 2P. And I think the final thing is just to keep the faith because if you've got the heart and the soul and the drive, it is remarkable how often something falls from the stars when you need it most, whether it is a fun, you know, an investor who comes in at the last minute or it's a deal that drops at the end of the month or it is uh, people who join the business who change what you're doing. Yeah, keep the faith. If you're, if you're in it, just stay in it for as, as long. The longer you can stay in it, the greater your chance of success. And there are all these sort of amazing books which will tell you about reaching various timelines, markers in, in time, and, and your chances of success double with each one. So just keep the faith, essentially. I feel like that's like a, a movie soundtrack there. As podcasters, how could we use the room? Or do you have any specific advice for us about growing a podcast audience? We are very shy about going on YouTube, but we keep being told that that's the next thing we need to do. We're not having it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I work with James Haskell, who who broadcasts about 23 hours of his 24-hour day. So he would say, just if you're present and you're in the moment, get it out there. What can I give you advice? So as, the, as, as far as the room is concerned, you, you would be able to use us as a podcaster to, to use your medium as a way of talking to the brands that you love. And the hope for us is that, you know, we, we often get called across between Tinder and LinkedIn because we are matchmaking brands with interesting people in, in interesting channels. So you'd be very welcome, you know, to use your podcast as a way to talk about the brands that you genuinely love. And we would open up an, an access point for you to be able to connect with those brands. We are actually building, um, we've built it 
and we're just going through a redevelopment phase of it at the moment, but a, a brand-to-brand space. So I've obviously mentioned how brands can use us to unlock people of influence, but actually we're building the space where brands can then unlock similar brands who want to activate with them. So it might be an event and you can put your event on the platform and you can find a champagne uh, distributor who want to serve the poor, or you can find you know items for your goodie bags, or you can find taxis that want to bring the celebs and the VIPs. So you could use that through your podcast and say that this is who we are, this is who we talk to. We'd love to connect with brands who might want to have a presence in the pod that we are we are working on. But in terms of how to grow your audience, I think, I mean, you know, we've got a very, very good team behind us. Maybe that's the, maybe that's the secret to answer the question. Give it to people who know these things. I can't really tell you a lot about how to grow an online social media following because it's not really something that I'm I'm very passionate about from a personal perspective, but I know that there are very good people who've got the answers to all these sorts of things. I think the key is in social media, a constant sort of dialogue with your audience and content that people want to share. If you tweet about Star Wars, even if you don't like it, I've heard that can work quite well because you can get like... Yeah, that will lead you into four years of absolute non- stop stress so if you receive a star wars box or any of your listeners do and it's not really your thing pop it to one side and carry on with your day as if you've never received it through the post that would be a wise word on which to finish thanks for joining us and everything we've mentioned will be in the show notes we're talking about the questions and issues that matter to you so dm us on social or get in touch with harriet at commsovercoffee.com or myself rebecca at threadandfable.com if you enjoy the podcast please do rate review subscribe so others can find us and have five minutes with us find us on twitter at rebecca robert seven or at harriet smalzy Season two of Have You Got Five Minutes is brought to you in partnership with Nextdoor, the neighbourhood app that's used by one in seven households in the UK. This past 18 months, we've all needed to connect a little closer with the communities around us and Nextdoor are working to create a kinder place for people to have a neighbourhood that they can rely on. Tap into your neighbourhood at nextdoor.co.uk or download the app from your app store.